The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Stephen Baugh. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. I'll be reading from Genesis 24. If you don't want to follow along, I would be happy, because you would be listening. And as you know, listening to the Bible read gives you a different perspective sometimes. But if you want to read, go ahead. Genesis 24, the beginning through verse 9. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps a woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Since the reading of the Lord's word, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have a time now to meditate upon your word. As we do so, we ask your blessing that you would carry us along by your spirit to, in our minds to understand, in our hearts to grasp and hold fast to the truth. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this obviously is just the first part of this story, but it allows us to address something that um, you probably don't uh, struggle with now, but perhaps a little bit. Let me uh, remark that when we interpret the Old Testament in our circles, sometimes it looks to those outside like a magic trick that we simply are importing Christ into these Old Testament passages, and, it, and he doesn't really belong here. This is kind of a foreign importation, um, and it's just ma- kind of magic uh, and really not warranted. So at the very least, that's what I'd like to invite you to reflect upon, is how um, this really is an approach to the Old Testament as part of the continuing story that moves from Genesis all the way through Revelation with a unified message. And this certainly is a story. uh, After hearing Dr. Telfer a couple of weeks ago in chapel on chapter 23 and the burial of Sarah, I wanted to jump up and continue chapel by reading this and talking with you about it right then, because it would be so appropriate. He brought it out so well, uh, if you haven't, heard that, please listen to it, um, because it's, it's fascinating how the uh, 
inhabitants of the land of Canaan said, oh, well, you can bury her in our tomb, and he will have none of that. He has to have his own property for his wife. She has to have her own place in the land. So this is uh, picking up from that. Now, you're, it's possible that, you know, this, this follows right after that, the burial of Sarah. And you, you may be thinking, okay, we're, maybe we're jumping around a little bit in time, but I don't think we are. At the end of this whole episode, when Rebecca is acquired and brought back, it says, so uh, Rebecca gave Isaac comfort because his mother had died. So this actually does move right out of chapter 23. And this is really quite a story, isn't it? One of the things you hear when you hear it read out loud, perhaps, is the repetition. Uh, it's striking how Mark does the same kind, kind of this quick repetition. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And you're going, well, if he's old, he's well advanced in years. Why repeat that? Uh, this is an oral effect. This is to reinforce that so you hear it. Because you may not hear it the first time, so you repeat it. There's also uh, more here about Abraham being wealthy. The Lord had blessed him in all things. So you have another repetition there. This is uh, because this is meant to be heard. And that's part of the beauty of this. Is this is a story to be heard and to meditate upon and thought through. Uh, that's what we're doing here is just spending a moment in our busy days to think through this text. Now, this text um, is uh, summarized by me as Abraham ensures that his son will be in the land, but not of the land. This is my thesis, in case you're wondering (laughs) if I'm writing a paper on this. Abraham ensures that his son will be in the land, but not of the land. It may not be perfect, but it does capture the fact that this land is central here. It's, uh, It's what you really should focus upon. In fact, it's prominent in Genesis in the in the story of, of Abraham. Um, and the first thing to note is Isaac will not be of the land. And this is why uh, Abraham is so concerned that Isaac not have a wife from the Canaanites. We're not really told why that's a problem. It's interesting that later on, as the story develops, and Rebekah and Isaac have children, Esau takes two wives from the Canaanites. And what Rebekah says is pretty fascinating. Here's what she says. I'll actually read this for you. Genesis 27. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be then? Maybe a little overreacting, but it does, it does show you how, what a serious matter this is. Why was she so vexed by the fact that this Canaanite women are now, you know, in their family? Well, there's two possibilities. Uh, later on, the Canaanites were pretty well known for worshiping Molech. They, of course, the, uh, related to Lot, but, uh, Molech comes up as one of the deities in Canaan, and you may recall that Molech is specifically said to be the one to whom people sacrifice their children. This is an abomination of the worst kind and vexing 
Uh, and this could be the sort of thing that they're engaged in, witchcraft perhaps, some sort of paganism that they brought in uh, that was really vexing to Rebecca, and that Abraham really didn't want to have uh, his son connected to. Furthermore, you know, marriage is a merger of families, particularly in that day. This is, this is connecting yourself to those families that you draw their wives from. And so you're really putting down roots in the land alongside the Canaanites. Um, and that's not what the Lord is promising. He's promising that this will be a particular people who will not be merged into the Canaanites. Because you can imagine down the road, the, the family of Abraham would simply become Canaanites and be merged with them. And maybe have the worship of the Lord alongside Molech and all these other deities that would develop. That's not going to happen. Isaac will not be of the land. He will not be part of that people. He's going to be separate from them. The Lord had promised to Abraham, you will inherit this land. And now Abraham has reached the end of life. He knows that he personally won't inherit the land. But the promise had come to his seed as well. And his seed is right there from his own body, Isaac. And he wants to make sure that his seed will be preserved for the Lord as the one who will receive that promise of the land so that they will have this continuation because that promise will be fulfilled. This is Abraham's faith at work. When he talks to his servant, his faith is prominent there. And this is, this is a really important to him. He makes his servant swear. Um, he takes it very seriously. So then you have this business of in the land. Um, and that comes out in, our, in the interaction of Abraham and his servant, which is really uh, quite striking. It's striking because uh, it's repeated. So let me just read this again to you. The servant said to him, Perhaps a woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? This is a personally, perfectly reasonable request, you know. Okay. It's actually kind of curious. He could have said, Perhaps the woman that I first see won't come back. Should I go look for somebody else? <laughs> but he doesn't, in a sense, because he, he, he thinks... Okay, there's going to be a woman who will agree to marry Isaac. But she's not willing to leave her family, her homeland, everything she holds dear to become, uh, to be living in a single wide uh, or a travel trailer at best. And the tents they lived in were not as good as travel trailers, believe me. Uh, and so particularly when you have wild animals around. This is a serious, dangerous situation for these people. And you have this woman, if she could be willing to give up her security, um, she might be wealthy, living in uh, real security and, and uh, comfort, plenty of food. How are you going to provide food if you're living in a tent? You don't own the fields. You can't, you know, reap. Uh, grain from the fields if you can't plant them and they're not your fields. So there's, you know, they, she just doesn't know. So the servant is asking a perfectly legitimate question. 
And I tried to bring it out of my reading and Abraham's response. Notice how you have an inclusio here. I can say that among you. It just means an envelope structure. It's repeated. So Abraham's response in verse 6 is repeated at the end. So here's what he says in verse 6. See to it that you do not take my son back there. That's verse 6. And then verse 8. But if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. See the repetition? So see to it you don't take her back there. Take, take him back there. And then, again, repeated. Don't take him back there. Now, two things to say here. It's interesting. When you read this, Abraham says to the servant, take, take, uh, you go back to my family and my land. See, that's, that's his land. He owns that property in a sense. This is his homeland. Go back to my homeland. And the servant's hearing that and say, okay, well, maybe, maybe I was just going to have a new homeland, you know, and it's pretty easy to set up now because the family's there. They have property. He can build a farmhouse near an uncle's farmhouse and, you know, things will be really good there. And he says, yeah, that's my land, but that's not my land. This is my land. I don't own it yet, but this is my land. Don't take my son back there. So he insists that Isaac not go back there. Which is kind of interesting because Abraham had left the promised land. He does, you know, we were told twice. That he goes down to, once, he goes down to Egypt. Uh, so he did have to leave the land, but it was, it was temporary. See, what Abraham is cutting off is that Abraham is uh, cutting off the fact that Isaac's not going to go back there and settle down and forget about this land, which is his inheritance. He's got to be here. I don't care if he lives in tents. He's got to be here. This is his homeland. And he's adamant about that. Now, verse 6 is interesting. I, you know, the translation is difficult. See to it. It's almost like he's... You know, just kind of conversing. Oh, well, see to it that you don't do that. When actually it's a very strong statement. If you want to see this statement elsewhere, Pharaoh says to Moses, see to it that you don't see my face again, and the day you see my face, you will die. It's See to it's kind of strong. <laughs> and I love a Septuagint. You know I do anyway. But I love it here. Because it says, you watch yourself. That's how the Septuagint translates this. You watch yourself. You better not do that. You can see Abraham is really serious about it. You better not take Isaac back. It's interesting. You know, God didn't, we don't have a record of God actually telling Abraham, yeah, I'm going to give you this land and you better stay here. He doesn't really say that. He says, I'm going to give you this land and to your children. But he doesn't say, you better dwell here. But he dwells there. He's, he's insisting on dwelling there. He is sacrificing to dwell there. Why? It's a living testimony to his faith. This is his testimony. 
He says this land is the land where we meet the Lord. This is where the promises all come together for us. We've got to be here. Yeah, we may leave for a bit, but we're coming back here. Why? Because the promise of the Lord. This is where the Lord appears to him. This is where the promises all come together, the land. And it's in a, and we know now it's a type. It's a type of something else. And he knows that. See, this is why it's not a magic trick to say this. He is confessing to you that he knows that this land is simply a symbol of a promise of eternal life in a city not made by hands, in a homeland that the Lord is reserving for him. He knows it because the Lord has made him wait and not inherit this particular earthly type. He's made him wait. He's put him off. And he said, no, your life is a a pilgrimage. We talk about pilgrim theology. And you won't be surprised that I always translate that into the proper language of wagon train theology. Oregon Trail theology. Which means you're, you're, which is nice, because pilgrim, you know, you're kind of wandering around on the sea. Wagon train, you're meeting big mountains. I mean, serious mountains. You go over the Rockies, that's some serious wagon training. And that's some serious mountains. Then when you come down, when the northern route, not the California route, but the northern route, you come down and it's not real flat. Then you hit more mountains. We call them the Wallawas in the northeastern Oregon part of Idaho. And those are serious mountains, particularly if you're on a wagon train. Then you get on the Columbia River, which now is, you know, big, flat, roughly gentle, you know. It's because of the dams. There were no dams back then. It was a serious river with really dangerous currents, and it ran fast. A big river, I mean, one of the biggest in the country. And that, that was a serious problem for these people at the end of the Oregon Trail when they're tired, they're, they're worn out. That's what your life is like. You just get over a mountain <laughs> and you say, okay, finally we're gonna, things are gonna be smooth. And there's another mountain range ahead. Or now there's a, a huge current and a big river you have to negotiate. This is what our life is like in this world. This is what it was like for Abraham as well. But he wouldn't leave. He persisted and insisted, no, I'm staying here. I'm going to ride this through because the Lord has promised me something good. And I have a country that's not of this creation. And you know, that's exactly what the writer of the Hebrews does say. I alluded to it. Hebrews 11. You knew I was going to end up there, as, as we should. Because it speaks directly to this. No, it's right here. And all these, though they received testimony through faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they shouldn't be made perfect. They shouldn't enter into their inheritance apart from us. We are the children of Abraham by faith. Now you have Romans 4. 
We are all the children of Abraham on this wagon train with him in this life. Because the Lord has provided a better city, a heavenly Mount Zion that you have approached in Christ Jesus. One that he saw from a distance and welcomed, he confessed it. And he acted. Because people who speak thus are confessing to you that they have a hope, not of this creation. And they could have had opportunity to return to that land. Now I'm just paraphrasing Hebrews 11 earlier. He could have gone back. He could have given up that. But this is his confession of faith, and it's strong. And it is firm in spite of all the obstacles. He is a model to us of faith, as well as all the patriarchs and their wives. These are people who are uh, sacrificing for the sake of an inheritance so that we may all together inherit it in eternal life through Christ Jesus, the great seed of Abraham. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the good word. We thank you for the hope and the life that we have in Christ Jesus. For here we find amazing words of people whom you've led that they may be models for us and inspire us in our uh, lives here on earth. That Because you are faithful. You are faithful to them and you are faithful to us. We give you praise and thanks. We pray that you will help us on the way. You will strengthen our hands that we may walk faithfully before you until we all together with these dear saints of old come into your presence and stand with joy and singing. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Go in peace. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.